Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, July 5th. We begin with the continuing conversation surrounding the tragic events that continue to unfold at Canada's former residential school sites. We hear the personal story of Laura Lee Waterchief, a teacher and guidance counsellor at Old Sun Community College on Siksika Nation, which happens to be a former residential school. It's the time of year we all love to flock to our beautiful backyard getaways, our national parks. We speak with the communications officer of Jasper National Park for some tips on how to enjoy the experience safely and at the same time keep the wildlife wild. From what SPF of sunscreen we should be using to how often we should be reapplying to how to treat a painful sunburn, we get a lesson in Sun Safety 101 with our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. And finally, it's our weekly tradition, Motivational Monday. This time out, we speak with Calgary-based author, speaker, and coach Douglas Vermeeren. Doug gives us details on his most recent project, interviewing 700 millionaires, and he shares with us the common traits he found that could help you achieve your financial goals. As we continue to learn more about the residential school system in Canada and the ongoing effects on our country's Indigenous peoples, I was actually surprised to hear that Old Sun Community College on Siksika Nation was a former residential school. Joining us now to talk about some of the history and how we move forward is Laura Lee Waterchief, a teacher and guidance counsellor at the college. Good morning, Laura Lee. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good to be with you. Pleasure to chat with you. Old Sun College, as you told me, is one of 17 original residential school buildings still remaining in Canada. So I'm curious, why turn it into a college to start with? Why not just tear it down? Well, on the advice of our our community members, some of our elders, it was suggested that rather than turning it down, tearing it down is to turn it into a positive opportunity for people to obtain an education. So that was the reasoning behind turning it into a a college. Laura Lee, your family, both your parents uh, were residential school survivors. Uh, Did they talk about it much? And did you, you recall the stories from when you were younger? Yeah, not my father. My father passed away at a young age. He was only 42, so he didn't talk about it. He didn't, didn't have an opportunity to share with, with us. But my mother definitely, she um, with my research, I, I continuously asked her questions. So she shared so many stories of her experience in the residential school. So yeah, that um, was very, I'm very honored to have had that opportunity to, to listen to my mom and all the, share, the stories that she had. Laura Lee, you have been teaching at the college for nearly 30 years now. And given the history of the building and, and the stories, again, that you've heard from your community, from your own family, what's that been like? And, and how do you sort of, you know, make sense of that for yourself? Yeah, <clears throat> well, just a correction. I haven't been teaching. I've been working at Olson Community College uh, since um, 1991. Actually, July 23rd will be 30 years. So, yeah, um, I do, I'm a counselor there, and I also teach. We've developed sixical uh, knowledge courses, and based on our way of life. And one of the courses that I that I teach is the SK two five two, which is the history of the residential school. And um, so, with uh, my experience working there, it, it's really difficult for so, so many people, so many, especially our elders, to talk about residential school. There's some people that won't even step foot into the building, as you 
could understand. But um, <clears throat> regardless, there's many people that come. As a matter of fact, Arthur Bearchief, who wrote a book of his experience on being at Old Sun Residential School, has spoke, has been a guest speaker in um, my classes and also workshops we've had and has shared his experience and his story and, and advice on uh, moving forward. So moving forward, you know, they always say it's it's important to try your best to turn a negative into a positive, but it seems like a mountain. This seems, you know, Lorley, this seems overwhelming. So so can we, you know, turn the corner with this? Can we find some positivity in years to come? Is that even a possibility? Oh, yes, definitely. And I think that's um, that's where we try to provide that opportunity for others to come and take these courses, these workshops. And, and just a visit, and um, so we could share this. And, and we also—I also give tours of the uh, college when it was a when it was a residential school. So no, we have to turn that negative into a positive, and and we, and that's how we're going to heal. As you know, we're all in, in a grieving process right now, and we will be for a long time. But regardless, we've got to move forward in a way that will help others to understand as well as ourselves. And that's what it's all about—is healing and reconciliation moving forward we can't continue dwelling on the negative history but um, rather than that moving forward in a positive way Laura Lee, I want to reiterate what you just said that you know indigenous and non-indigenous folks can go to the college take tours you offer workshops there are courses that people can take indigenous and non-indigenous so is that something is that what we need to do particularly as non-indigenous people to continue to learn and try to understand and talk to people like you is that enough is that what we must do moving forward yeah, it, it will never be enough, but, you know, it's a start, and it's it's been it started for a while now, and we'll continue to offer that opportunity, and I, and I just hope more people come and, and take us up on the offer of, um, we're inviting them over, and we would like love to host people, and um, as a matter of fact, when we're celebrating our 50th anniversary at First Mason's College in September, it would be so nice for other people to come out and see all the stuff that we're doing and that are so positive and empowering for everyone. And yes, you're right, Sue, we're open to everyone, not just our own people, but we're open to anyone that is interested. And Laurel, your work, you know, uh, as a guidance counselor, you know, at the college, I'm wondering as, as far as, uh, you know, have you had people coming to lean on you and to ask you questions and to come for support over the past several weeks? Yes, definitely. It's it's a real mixed bag of emotions. You know, there are some of our young people um, as well really need to learn. And so some have anger and, and so on. But at the same time, others are understanding and have been aware of this for a long time. So, yeah, it's everybody's reaching out, especially on social media. And, and we've done a lot. Our community members have been uh, hosting events at the at the college over the past few weeks. So, yes, everybody's involved in a, and, and trying to move forward. Lorley, uh, I'm curious as to your thoughts on what's happening right now with, you know, shoes being left at the front doors of churches, you know, paint being splashed on the front doors, red paint. And, and in some cases right now, seeing some of these churches burn. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I, I with the shoes left on the steps, I think that's a real honorable thing to do in honor of all the residential school children who never made it home. But I don't <clears throat> I don't agree with the you know, the vandalism and arson. There's many people that are um creating fires, non nation members actually, that are 
uh, starting fires on the reserve of Siksika and throughout Canada. And it's not a good thing. That's not the way to be, uh, you know, fighting uh, in a negative way. I don't agree with that. It saddens me, really. It really hurts me seeing all that taking place. And, and could part of the, the you know, the, the intense frustration that's gone on for generations, the sorrow and the, the stories that were kind of, you know, kept under wraps for so many years, could, could part of it in 2021, could part of the pain be that we can't look at the people completely 100% responsible for this because it happened years ago and maybe protected by different institutions? And it seems like there's, we can't, you know, finally, we can't get closure when it comes to, you know, pointing to exactly uh, and bringing these people to responsibility? Yeah, well, definitely, it's gonna. It's a process. It's going to take a long time. I mean, this news of uh, finding unmarked graves is just very new and quite raw. And pe- some people were never aware of this, and so it's going to create some negative um, impacts, definitely. But uh, at the same time, it, it's opening the door, the awareness, mm-hmm. which is really needed. And we've been saying this for years, many years. In the TRC recommendations, that's one of the things that have been recommended is that these unmarked graves be researched and, and, and searched all throughout all of Canada as well as um, Northwest Territories, definitely. Thank you so much for joining us, Laura Lee, and sharing your thoughts and your perspective today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for teaching us a little bit more today. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Thank you. That is Laura Lee, Water Chief, teacher and guidance counselor at Old Sun Community College. It's on the Siksika Nation. Again, you can take tours, workshops, courses there. It's oldsuncollege.ca. And survivors of the residential school system can get support if they need it through Canada's Indian Residential Schools Resolution Help Support Program. It's a 24-7 crisis line, 1-866-925-4419. It's great to be able to take in two of the world's most spectacular national parks, both just short drives outside of the city. But before you head out, give some thought to staying safe and to keeping wildlife safe by avoiding interacting with them. With more on how to stay safe while enjoying all the parks have to offer is Public Relations and Communications Officer with Jasper National Park, Steve Young. Good morning to you, Steve. Good morning, Sue and Andy. Thank you for taking the time with us. Most of us head to the national parks with the hopes of seeing a bear or a moose or a herd of elk, but it can become dangerous when you get too close. So how can we avoid an up-close encounter while still getting that wildlife experience? That's right, and that's one of the reasons people come to national parks is to enjoy the wildlife and, and see the natural world, and that's one of our jobs as Parks Canada is to present it. But we want to do it in a very safe way. And the best advice I always give people is to stay in your car. Um, there are a number of opportunities to present themselves if you come up the Icefields Parkway and you go through Banff and you go through Jasper. Chances are you're going to see a big orange sheep, a mountain goat, a bear. The, the, the really chances are pretty good that that's going to happen somewhere along the way. So, you know, we don't have any problem with you pulling over to the side of the road as long as it's safe to do so and you're not causing a traffic jam or any of that kind of thing. But if you stay in your vehicle, observe them safely from inside your vehicle. You've got that sunroof, by all means, you know, bring the sunroof down, pop your head out the top and get that uh, picture that everybody cherishes these days and then move along. So that that creates uh, the right atmosphere for the animal. You're safe. 
they're safe, they don't get uh, habituated to people being around them, and they just uh, <laughs> go try to be a bear for the rest of the day. And, you know, Steve, hopefully most of us know these lessons already and are abiding by them. But, I mean, if there's no ranger around, is, is it up to us to kind of say if we see somebody maybe taking their, their life into their hands in some cases, hey, this is probably not your best idea? Because maybe they don't know any better. Maybe they're not from here. That's a really good point. Um, but I would say that the interesting thing through the pandemic is the far majority of the visitors to our two parks are Albertans. Mm. That's just the reality of the situation right now. And it's still happening. So I, I just throw that Should out there. Should we yell at people then? <laughs> say, get back into your car. What's your problem? <laughs> yes. And some of us should know better. You're absolutely right about that. But yes, that's one of the goals of this video that uh, Tourism Jasper and uh, Banff and Lake Louise Tourism have put together together with uh, Parks Canada is to uh, is targeting those international visitors because it's a totally different experience in a national park in other parts of the world. And they sometimes even encourage people to pet the animals or feed the animals because that's one of the ways the animals get fed. So we can't assume everybody knows. So you... Please do it in a polite way because some, <laughs> the last thing we want to do is, you know, get you into a bad situation. But if you do it politely and say, hey, you're getting too close. And that's one of the reasons we have wildlife guardians out on the roads here at Jasper is to do that kind of refereeing, for lack of a better way to put it, and say, hey, you're, you know, we want you to enjoy the experience, but mm-hmm. you're getting too close the animal is getting upset, and there—that's the other thing I would say—is the animal lets you know when you're too close. There are things you can look for, like pawing the ground or just looking nervous in the animal. Their teeth. If they're nervous, you need to get out of there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Steve, and we don't have much time left, but if you can touch on the fact that, yeah, if we have a close counter interaction, it can be dangerous to us. But how can it be dangerous to the animals themselves? Well, they get a little too comfortable around people. Um, and then it just, they'll come, uh, you know, you're eating your sandwich and you've got a sandwich. And if they're comfortable around people and they're hungry, the sandwich becomes the target, not you. Or uh, Here's a really good example from what's happened in the past. A bear in this park found a backpack. And then as soon as they found this backpack and they found food in it, Anybody else that had a backpack, they have food on their back, mm-hmm. and that becomes a problem. And it, it seems like such an innocent thing. Oh, I left my backpack. I forgot it. It had food in it. Well, that, that has a trigger effect that works to the animal's brain, and they say, oh, and they just associate the two things together, and they had no interest in the human, but if the human's wearing a backpack, they do have an interest. We have to be careful for sure and keep our animals wild and safe. We're visiting them, not the other way around. Thanks so much for joining us, Steve. That was really well put. Thank you very much. You may use that in your next uh, campaign if you want. (laughs) Have a great day. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. Appreciate your time. That is Steve Young, Public Relations and Communications Officer with Jasper National Park. It was hot last week and tis the season for sun safety. From what SPF of sunscreen we should be using to how often we should be reapplying and how to treat a painful sunburn if it comes to that. Ding, ding.
That's the school bell, Sue. <laughs> Sun Safety 101 is now in session with our professor, Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family <laughs> physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. This started last week when we were talking about, you know, very early in the program, because sunburn Sue here, sometimes she gets them, <laughs> believe it or not. We were discussing what the sort of an SPF we should be using, and we remember back years ago you'd use a 20 or a 30. I'm assuming we don't want to, uh, you know, use those too often anymore. Well, you want at least a 30. Okay. So after 30, the curve really flattens out, meaning the difference between 0 and 30 is huge, like in the 90 percentage range. But after 30, like say 30 to 50 is actually very little difference. Really? 50 and above, very, very little difference. So really at least a 30 SPF. So are they just charging us more money to put a higher number on there and there's not really much difference in what's in the bottle? Yeah, well... <laughs> There is a bit of difference, but it's minimal. Uh, I guess the idea there, if there's any rationale, is to we tend to underutilize uh, suntan lotion. But we don't use it as much as we should, and we don't reapply often enough. So the higher the number, you might at least get a little bit better bang for your buck if you don't reapply or use enough. But really, the difference, practically speaking, is very little difference. Okay, but I mean, when it comes to those brands, I need to clear this up. Do we have to buy the brand name one, or can we buy the grocery store or the department store brand name? You can buy whatever you like, uh, I think. So using it is the most critical part, what you actually get. I think the best ones are uh, broad spectrum, UVA and UVB. So you can look for that, make sure it has both of those, and it should be water resistant at least, because you can easily sweat it off uh, if it isn't. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's really mostly like, do you like a lotion versus a spray versus a stick versus like what seems to sit best with your skin and what will you use the most of consistently is really the key. And probably generic versus high-end brand products, again, probably not that much difference between them all. You've got to read the labels, I suspect, and look at the ingredients for sure. So you don't have any um, any favorite in terms of whether it's a cream or a spray? Because I believe, just from my own experience in trying to spray my kids, that it doesn't work as well. The sprays don't yeah. seem to work as well. Yeah, I think the general feeling there is that the, the lotions are probably the most consistent for getting good skin application and consistent skin application, whereas the spray are a little bit spotty. So they might be very convenient to use, but you can't get that perfect, consistent uh, layer everywhere. Not just problem. We're tight for time, but I got to get this one in because last week you gave us a quick and a great opportunity to talk about, you know, rehydrating with the electrolytes with your own special formula. What about for sunburns? Is there something we can do to ease the pain if we get one? Yeah, don't get it in the first place. So there are a lot of after, like afterburn uh, products out there that might soothe the skin. I'm not sure that I have a specific one. <laughs> I actually, you know, because I have access to samples and things like a mild steroid or a hydrocortisone, very mild, you can get that over the counter. It's actually probably the most effective thing to take the redness and the heat out. So uh, Cortate is a brand name or hydrocortisone. Uh, so it's more the doctor's trick of how to get around a uh, sunburn. Dr. J, yes or no from a texter, do we wash off the sunscreen at the end of the day? Is that important? Yes or no? What do you think? I don't think it's that critical because okay. honestly, most of it's fully worn off by the time. So yeah, if you like to shower before you go to bed, then for sure. But I don't think yeah. it's a critical piece. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Always you betcha. full of knowledge for us and you make us better people. Thanks, Dr. J. <laughs> okay, you betcha. That is our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski.
Every Monday, we like to try to motivate you. Put that spring in your step. We call it Motivational Monday because that's the most creative title we could come up with. And uh, today, a very special guest joining us once again, uh, Douglas Vermeeren. Now, when he says he's done his research, it's no small feat. In fact, for his latest project, that research included personally interviewing 700 different people. Vermeeren is an author, speaker, and the creator of the Certified Entrepreneur Coach Program. And he joins us this morning. Good morning to you, Doug. Hey, Andy. Good to be with you guys again. Well, good to, good to have you. We appreciate your time. And uh, this recent project, when you say... You know, putting pen to paper, in this case, it wasn't that straightforward. You had a lot of different subjects. Tell us about it. Well, what I really wanted to understand is how money is created, specifically like millionaire status. How do people get to it? So what I did is I this time interviewed 700 millionaires and began to identify many commonalities and specific things that they were doing strategically to really get to that level. So if you've heard the the book, for example, The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley, well, we kind of took that a bit further because he did his first research in 1996, even before the Internet was invented. So we just added to it, but we've also really taking a look at the strategic how, the day-to-day things a person could do to increase their financial competency. Okay, now you've got everybody's attention, so tell <laughs> us, what did you find? Wow, well, there were some incredible things that we, we really were excited to find, everything from, obviously, the thought processes of how millionaires made decisions on, you know, their spending habits and, and what they would purchase, but also all the way to the specific, and you know, investments and activities that they would get involved in. And the thing that was really interesting is we came up with three laws that were really startling, um, that really showed how accessible it was for everybody. Just to kind of share quickly, the three laws are for us to think about is, number one, if others have done it, you can do it too. So there is a predictable way that we can kind of identify. Number two is that if you follow what others have done, you can do it too. So in other words, there are things that you can start doing in your daily habits that will immediately have an impact on your financial freedom. And lastly, if you stay focused, this is the important part, and committed to the path that others have used, you will eventually do it too. So the reality is, is most people think that it takes a long, long, long time to impact your finances. The reality is our studies show that in uh, the average time it took for a person to become a self-made millionaire, if they were focused and followed the patterns, was about 24 months actually. Wow. wow, that's insanity when you think about it in those terms in such a short time frame. Uh, part of this, and that's really cool that you could have 700 different people, but three laws the time together. Uh, when you're in the midst of it, when you're, you're trying your best to have success and hit that financial goal, for example, you uh, there's no real blueprint, but you've boiled it down to seven different principles that you can kind of self-check to know if you're on the right track or not. Yeah, there, there's seven different principles that we found, but... I should confess that there's also many paths to do this. So some of the people that we interviewed obviously made it through business, like owning their own business. Others did it through things like real estate or investment. And uh, believe it or not, there were even some that did it at a job. What? <laughs> so, so there's hope. There's hope that you could do it even from a job, right? But the, the seven principles, like just to hit on a few of them, Um, for today. Number one, I think that many people forget is something called the law of probability. The law of probability basically states that that which is probable is most likely to occur. So what kind of things can you do day to day to increase the chances that you're going to arrive at that destination? And again, that starts really with the activities that we do, the places we go, the people we meet, the way that we spend our money day to day, and so forth. So when we start 
patterning or mirroring exactly what millionaires say in our category. Like, let's say you're a business owner. If you start doing the things that millionaires in the business category do, you're going to arrive at the same results. So that was probably the biggest foundational principle. But obviously, there's six others, and we'd love to share them. But, um, you know, on the radio today, I don't think that we have a bunch of time. Um, we'd love to give it away as a free gift. So we do have a website where you can pick that up, Predictable Millionaire Now. And it's just a free gift. There's no obligation. It's just a simple report that you can print off and follow, start, start making results in your life. So, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening thinking, come on, like, I cannot become a millionaire unless I win the lottery. That's just not going to happen. So do you really believe that, you know, everybody has the same ability, the same potential, no matter who you are and what you do? Sure. And you know what? The reality is, is the lottery is the absolutely worst plan. And I'm sure that that, that, that no. makes sense to a lot of people right away. <laughs> Andy's in I trouble. Think, yeah. And I think the goal for many people isn't necessarily to become a millionaire. It's to have the financial freedom to really have less stress in their life financially. Mm-hmm. So obviously our our promise and commitment isn't that everyone's going to arrive at millionaire status. I mean, there's many people that that's important to, but even if you could learn how to alleviate some of your financial stress, especially after COVID, even if you could get yourself debt-free using these same principles, or, you know, who knows, maybe you could even find yourself with an extra 100000 200000 or more uh, based on commitment to these principles. But yes, there are those that I believe will use these principles to reach that millionaire status, because it's not as far-fetched as most people make it. What's interesting, Douglas, is, uh, you know, this is the application uh, and the focus to, to, to make more money. And, and the word millionaire entices a lot of people. But for example, those three principles that you mentioned could be applicable to, to, to any success when you think about it. When you say the if somebody else has done it, you can do it too. And then adhering, this is universal. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the other thing that's interesting is although, you know, we're using the term millionaire, there's, there's much more that goes into millionaire status, we found, than just the bank account numbers. So, for example, even the, the freedom that would come into your life, the stress that disappears once you've got your finances under control, uh, the experiences in your life that come. You know, a, a lot of times people just arbitrarily throw that number of a million, whereas in their true desires, their true, how should we say, things that they're looking to achieve can actually be accomplished for a lot less than a million as well. Doug, quickly, uh, before we let you go, we got a texter to say, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Pay yourself 10 to 15% of your salary into a savings vehicle. It's pretty simple, not magic. Is that a basis of partly what you're talking about? Is there more to it? There there can be much more to it. And I think the biggest challenge is that we saw a lot of people that were able to say these kind of things that they often hear and are repeated. But the challenge a lot of times is the self-discipline to be able to keep with those plans. And I should also mention it's not just a matter of saving 10 to 15 percent. It's also where you're going to put it because there's a lot of things that, you know, people – sort of subscribe to that don't always pan out, right? Just because they they, they understand these things that are said, but they just don't really know the specifics of, okay, so where do I put it to get great returns? Where do I put it to keep it safe? Where do I put it to keep it, uh, you know, in your hands instead of, say, CRAs or someone else's, right? So there's structures that need to be put in place that millionaires are using that just make it altogether easier. And why not follow that path? Uh, Thank you uh, so much for your time this morning, Douglas. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me again, guys. Good stuff. That is uh, Doug Vermeeren, author, speaker, and the creator of the Certified Entrepreneur Coach Program. You can find him online at douglasvermeeren.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 5:30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.